1: this weird inability to not be genuine and authentic. And it sometimes embarrasses people. Like I say what's on my mind. I don't hold back. I'm pretty transparent if it's necessary. And I think that in any other environment, whether it's like a more stuffy corporate environment or mingling or whatever, I really do bring myself to the table. And I think that's how I've been able to achieve building this company with Madison, because the main thing we care about is being our authentic selves and allowing everyone at our company, our creators to also be able to bring their authentic voice and themselves to the table. Because for a long time, I feel like that has been stifled in society. Sometimes I find myself saying things I shouldn't, thinking things I shouldn't, you know, making an ass of myself. But then other times I find that me being myself makes other people feel comfortable to be themselves too. That's what I think brings it home. And I think that's honestly like what I respect the most about this next generation. They're like, screw you, I'm gonna be who I am, you know, cause I'm an individual.
2: How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Simone May. And Simone is very, very talented in the technology field. She's also someone who's become a budding entrepreneur. And in this episode, we talk about her entrepreneurship journey as well as what it's like to be in the creator economy today. It's no secret that the economy is in flux. And so many of you listening to this podcast are probably looking for ways to create, how to find ways to democratize the process. Her platform is one that does such. And I'm hoping that you are able to continue to develop a deeper relationship with her as well as a co-founder. And just take some solace in understanding how she found her path to entrepreneurship. Many of us have long, windy roads to get to where we truly need to be. So let this serve as a reminder. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's episode is with Simone May. Simone is the co-founder and CTO of Clutch where she leads the company's efforts in translating their customers' needs into the product and technical functionality. Her interest in the world of technology and seeing the software that has obviously changed in the last decade or so began at such a young age. And she grew up with two engineers as parents, and she developed a passion for math and science and tinkering with all sorts of technical gadgets and projects. So she's basically Iron Woman. And so I'm excited (laughs) to have a member of the Avengers today. Welcome to the show, Simone. (laughs) I would love to be a member of the Avengers one day. There's an opening, you know. I'm
1: saying that as if they're real. They feel real to me, but...
2: (laughs) (laughs) I want to welcome you to the show. And the reason why I said that is because it sounds like you have a very intimate knowledge of Tony Stark's story and, and, and Shuri, but there's something that happens when you're able to identify a passion very early. It sounds like That was cultivated for you. So, can you talk about that? Why such an early age? What led you down this path?
1: I think growing up with two parents who were engineers, I think really motivated me to like enjoy math and science, not necessarily like pursue a career in it, but I just was like naturally, I think, very good at math. Like, that was my favorite subject growing up. And then when my parents and the whole tinkering thing comes from like my parents when they got their first cell phone or computer, I didn't just, when they had it, I'd like take any chance I could to like get my hands on it and like play around with it and not just like figure out how to play the games. Like I would go through the settings and figure out how to like change certain things on their phones, like wallpaper. And this was from like a young age. So like, obviously now everyone knows how to do that. But at the time it was like flip phones and like Dell laptops. They didn't have an Apple computer. Oh my god, I wanted one so bad! By the time I was in middle school, I was like, that was like my one of my gifts. My freshman year of high school, like I got a Mac, and I was just like stoked. It was the best thing ever. (laughs) Even when my mom got her laptop, like I would go through everything in it, not just like try to find, you know, simple things that I think a lot of like kids might have done at that age. So that's a really simplistic way of saying I was obsessed with the idea of technology. I always thought that it was fascinating that you could like take this piece of machinery and communicate with the world. For example, you could find information, you could do all types of things. And like the idea of like the digital world was very fascinating from a very young age. So between that, enjoying math, I took a computer science course my senior year of high school, where I like did um, wrote an HTML. And I was like, I learned HTML. I was like, oh my gosh, like, The fact that you can write in like this coded language and then output like a colorful website is also insane. Like if you look at the back end of any piece of software, it's like not interesting at all. It looks like you you might be writing a paper, but the output or the outcome of it is like beautiful and creative and can be really like powerful as as we've all seen. And I think that's what led me to decide to start studying computer science at Purdue.
2: I love that. You know, one of the things you're highlighting is the concept of environment. People often would say this idea that, you know, we're a product of our environment and all these things. And you apply for equitable environments, right? And you know, I, I run a DI, DI firm. I'm constantly in conversations with people in STEAM and STEM. And we're always talking about access to these tinkering tools at such an early age and how much that can make a difference and And play a role in interest and as well as the pipeline for hiring in that that sort of environment, so I feel like you're you're full like you're an embodiment of that essentially of what can happen when that's the case
1: I completely agree, and the other thing is is like a lot of times I feel like women, specifically black women, aren't necessarily encouraged to think that this type of technical environment or math and science is as accessible or interesting even like it's not something that's sold as like fun and interesting and creative it's something that's sold as like boring nerdy you have to be a certain intellectual level to like engage with it but what's funny is i've actually met quite a few artists and a few like graphic designers who became coders because of their natural like interest in creativity but also they might have had like a more analytical more passion in the analytical side as well,
2: so and that's fair enough and I think uh there's something I'm from Nigeria and oh,
1: cool.
2: lagos right? you see the flag over there i'm from the, the the New York City version and i always i love my parents I love everyone, but even when I'm talking to the immigrants who've had similar experiences in an effort to protect you and ha- ensure you have a path for success, there can be a limited view of how you see yourself as well because the doctor lawyer engineer or failure or Doctor and <laughs> engineer. And. and, you know, I, I always tell my parents that what about if I added something else there? Like, no, you got to go to, you got to do this. So it, it's an interesting thing there because you have essentially done that with clutch. Clutch is this, this idea of you're giving power to the people. It's the creator economy platform that is connecting connectors, uh, creators to emerging brands. And I think you're using technology in a great way to do that. So, sorry. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I just I thought of like two different things that you brought up. And the first thing is like human beings are not monolithic. Like we are people that have a varying amount of interests, and really, I feel like enjoy being able to leverage those interests and make money off of them. But also like just do them for fun like this, like a podcast. And like you might also, you know have your day-to-day job, but then you have something like this too that like complements your other interests, which might be in talking to people or getting to know people. And I think that being given the room to explore all of my passions from a young age was I, I think really important what led to us being able to, myself and my co-founder Madison, to being able to build Clutch. And I think the second piece to that is like our creators now, you know, we have a biomedical engineer that's also a creator for us. 75% of them are people of color. And I think that that also contributes to their unique ability to engage with certain audiences for the brands that they work with because of that diverse thought and that them being able to also be creative, but you know, still maybe study whatever it is they're studying. We typically target students, um, but we're probably gonna be expanding outside of that
2: towards the end of the year. For sure, no, for sure. I always ask entrepreneurs this question because I, I believe entrepreneurship is problem solving at its finest. So I'm curious, Simone, what problem did you want to solve with Clutch?
1: The biggest problem I think Madison and I have always been looking to solve is how can we democratize the space for people that look like us and access to being able to make money on their own terms without it interrupting their life? Because, you know, when we were both in college, you know, Madison and I came from a certain amount of privilege. Like I did have two parents that were engineers. She had parents that were also like pharmacists. And, you know, so we did come from a certain amount of privilege, but we also had friends who had to work in college to be there. And the work that they were doing took up most of their time. They didn't have time to study or if they were working and studying, they didn't really have time to like cultivate friendships, which I think your connections when you call it are huge for when you graduate. So I think that like she and I had always also just hustled in college anyway. We both had jobs and both of those jobs were not necessarily something that we felt passionate about or were like fun for us. So I think that we've always just like our North Star has always been being able to like support the next generation and students specifically looking to like be able to work, make money and also like study or do whatever else it is that they're passionate about. So keeping that in mind for the last year, we were able to find this place in the market where we were originally allowing students with side hustles to connect with other students for services. And we found that a lot of students don't really have enough, you know, disposable income to pay each other. So once we found out that small businesses were also looking to hire students for their services, we ended up finding out that the majority of those small businesses were looking for social media marketing support and in an affordable way. And so that's how we landed on what we're doing today. But again, that all started with us just giving the students the power to actually market and sell whatever it is their skills were. And that's, we flipped, tumbled and landed here. But <laughs> And I don't even know if that even Question. <laughs> That's always been what we cared.
2: Any business or any solution, you can start off trying to solve a particular problem, and then you realize that there, there's more. You know, I as complicated as Jeff Bezos is, and, and all these interesting people, I'm, I, I think he initially started with a bookstore, right? Uh, you know, an idea, and then it, it's morphed into him becoming what he is now and taking over everything. But the, all these other things, you start realizing that there's an opening, and then there's multiple paths here. Oh, we can go down the path of Jay Z, or or love, however he goes by these days. But there are multiple paths where you recognize an opportunity and the privilege you have, you know, whether it's you understand that you are seen in one way and because of your knowledge, you can go to another part. And then maybe now you're going to go into sports like Jay, Jay does, or now you're going to go into another aspect of ownership or Twitter and all these things. And then you grow. This concept of not being limited. So, yeah, I think it's great, though. And I think students are a great place to start because w- when I teach... I usually teach freshmen to, to seniors because I'm teaching them public speaking and communications.
1: Oh, nice. And okay. college?
2: Yes, college. Sometimes I teach MBA students. Sometimes I teach uh, college-level students. But when I'm teaching these college-level students, they're at that point where they're already too far into a degree that they don't want to do, some of them, or some of them are just going through them. And I often wonder about platforms like yours, if, if it was available for them, what they'll do, because you can see them being trapped or feeling trapped. I don't want to say being trapped, feeling trapped. And you can see how that's already impacting what they feel like the next, I don't know, 10 years is going to be or the whole of the twenty.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, I even felt a little trapped when I was at Purdue too, because I, you know, learned from an early age that I didn't really early at my time at Purdue, I didn't want to do software development. I wanted to be able to work with people. So, you know, I kept going with the degree and I can relate to that because sometimes you feel like you said, you just kind of have to do these steps to get to this point in life and then you're good. But in reality, if you expose people to like early opportunities outside of what they think they have to do, you'd be surprised at like how much their world opens up or how much their minds open up. And that's what our platform, I believe, like has been able to do, you know, we're connecting creators, like I keep saying with like, brands who they might not have necessarily heard about before or people that they might not have ever met before. And they're able to prove themselves in these like other ways that make them more marketable in their resumes and life. And even like learning those soft skills again from like an early age is important. And so it's like, I get so sad because I'm always like, dang, sometimes, and I think that with, you know, all the conversation and controversy around like student loans and you know, all these different things. I think this next generation is starting to realize like this might be a little bit of a scam. I'm
2: not, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, Oh wait, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I always tell my students that you don't have to be here. I promise you that there are other paths and I'm not saying that from any other area. I think it's interesting though, because you, you're touching on something that I, I wanted to talk to you about. I was doing research on you and uh, you had done an interview earlier on in medium. I believe it was with, uh, I think it was 40s. Yes. You said, Something that I found fascinating. You said you will learn as much about yourself as you do your business. And I didn't, you said you did not anticipate what you would learn about yourself as the journey began. So I wanted to ask you that question on here. What have you learned about yourself in the process of building this business with your co founder?
1: I think the biggest thing I can think of right now, or there's a couple big things I can think of. And the first is that I'm a lot smarter than I. Thought I was, <laughs> which not to toot like not to toot my own horn, but again, while I was at Purdue, I didn't necessarily enjoy software development. I also was like one of like five black women in my class in the beginning, and then I graduated with three. And so obviously, you're walking into class every day with people that don't look like you. Already know that you're not as advanced as them. Like just being candid and they also have these little cliques that they form. And there's other people in that class that probably aren't at the same level of advancement, but they they have friends and support and community. And community, I think, contributes a lot to your success, whether in college or whatever else it is you're doing. And so they were able to form these communities and I'm not necessarily the first person they think of to invite. So I think that that was a huge struggle and it knocked my confidence. And so, you know, fast forward, However, many years, I don't even know how long ago I was in college. (laughs) Oh my God, what years? But fast forward to now.
2: 2022.
1: (laughs) There we go. Five years ago, I guess I graduated. It's interesting because I'm like, wow, now I'm like running this company as CTO. And even though I'm not necessarily coding anymore, I'm able to leverage my knowledge of people and like the ability to translate a need into an actual product. And that is extremely valuable. And at the time, I did not know or feel that way. And so I think I developed a huge sense of, or I'm in the process of developing my confidence again. And I'm a naturally confident person, but when it came to my intelligence.
0: Ready to pop the question?
2: I was not super confident at, right out of college. How could you? You've been told multiple times that people like you, you have to work twice as hard. Twice as hard to be half as good. Literally. Right. That's literally been drummed down. I mean, it was drummed down in in me and all those fellow Black people across the diaspora. But I think it was really important for books like uh, Michelle Obama's Becoming.
1: Oh, yeah, I read it. Amazing. Her book was I'm assuming you read it too.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I'm even thinking from your perspective in the sense that someone who is already projected this way, who is embracing the aspect of becoming, and that's okay to just be in the process of becoming rather than already having something done and then question the company. Yeah. And you're always a work in progress.
1: I think that's kind of the second thing that the biggest thing that i learned. I'm not always going to be... Complete. I think everyone has this idea of like completeness, whether it's in life or in who they are as a person. I'm constantly challenged in this environment because now I have to be able to make sure that I have a level head. Me and Madison are on the same page, and our team is confident and feeling supported and comfortable with where we're going, and also able to voice their opinions. You have to like shut down the ego. You have to shut down the anxiety that comes with being a startup founder, which is like, what if we run out of money? That's totally possible. Like you really have to like work on yourself constantly and hear things that you don't like about yourself constantly, just as much as you think or hear about things that people do like about you. Like these articles and all the press and all that stuff is great, but you have to be able to balance that out with like continually being open to feedback, advice, because it's only going to make you better. And also you have to understand you're not going to be perfect. So even though everyone's going to give you all this different feedback, you're never going to be perfect. And that's okay. There's like beauty and imperfection. And I think that's like the biggest second thing I've learned because as an engineer, you know, you want to get 99% there. So it's like, why am I not at 90%, you know?
2: That's beautiful. There's beauty in your imperfections. I think it's a bar for life. So it's something that we all should take to heart. I also think the interesting part about your journey because you initially had a different idea for what your company is now. But something that happens in entrepreneurship, though, you you have attracted funding. You were able to to raise quite a bit of money early in the year. And I'm I want to know, congratulations on that, by the way. That's that's a big Thank deal. You. You're, you're welcome. Thank you. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. I wanted you to talk to that aspect because there are people listening now who who decide whether they want to fund it themselves, they want to seek venture firms funding, or maybe they want to get an angel investor around. What was that process like from taking it from that conversation with Madison to then seeking investors?
1: Is it okay if I go a little bit deeper into the journey starting like a couple
2: years ago? This is your show. You can do anything you want.
1: Okay, cool. I hate talking people's ears off, but basically two years ago, I came to her with a actually completely different idea than I just even talked about with Pivot last time, which was stadium and concession delivery. This was before COVID, so the idea was that you could order food for your seat, to your seat at like a Beyonce concert or like a football game, and you wouldn't have to get up Uber for stadiums. Basically, that actually exists. There's like a couple of places that are doing that now, um, but at the time, we had found an angel. So we had found an angel, family and friends round. It was really one person that had enough capital to invest in what we wanted to do initially. So that money honestly just went to hiring a developer or a couple developers for that platform. And as soon as we were ready to go to market, COVID hit. So we kind of had to like go way back to the drawing board. That was devastating for a lot of reasons. But I think now that I'm looking back, it's good that it happened. So we knew we wanted to work with universities. We started studying what universities might need. And in the process of doing that, Madison applied for an accelerator called DeVink, which shout out to Divinc because I think they changed the entire trajectory for us. And DeVink is an accelerator. And for those of you who might not know, accelerators are kind of like master classes in for you know startup founders typically or business owners. And that's where you get to learn like what goes into a pitch deck, what kind of financial projections should you be modeling this early on, you know? what kind of players are in the market, you know, doing competitive analysis, understanding how much money you could potentially make with your product. So that's where Madison was able to really get our pitch together. She focused on that primarily because also we were both working full-time at the time that we were building the company. I was still working full-time with Accenture as a technology consultant, and she had gone full-on to clutch. And honestly, she is the magic bullet when it comes to... Fundraising and I wish she was here because, like, I think what she's able to do is she's able to take negative feedback and spin it, find the silver lining, figure out what she can get from it, and move on. She doesn't focus on rejection or see it as a bad thing. She sees that as okay, let me improve what I'm doing and continue to work on this. So, once she got her pitch deck, we built up enough of a network to start pitching the company and the idea. We were getting a lot of feedback, and most of it was like, This business is, this market is saturated. Selling through the universities is a pain in the ass. So we then moved on to what I was talking about earlier, which was connecting students to other students looking to market and sell their side hustles. That was at the point in which she really started to see some traction with investors. But when I tell you she talked to, at that point, this was probably like July or August of last year, maybe June, she had probably talked to like, I don't even know, probably like 50 to 100 investors all of which were like rejecting saying no, but she had gotten connected to them because she kept saying, okay, do you think that anybody else would be interested in what we're doing? Or do you think somebody would be able to provide us feedback? And through all those different connections that she was able to generate, we landed on our current VC, which is precursor. She met Charles. Oh my God, that day was crazy. I was getting wrong, me and she's like, Charles wants to invest. And I was like, oh my God, like it was, that was like one of the best days ever. And Charles from Precursor, and Precursor has been a huge reason, I think, for our success now. But long story short, a lot of people will get discouraged when talking and constantly having to pitch and sell yourself. And also, we all know the statistics on how many Black women are able to raise venture capital, how much of it is out there for us. They often ask us questions that they're not asking our white counterparts. We've done our own research on that, and we've heard it. There's articles you know, little things like, what do you project you're gonna make in 2024 at a pre-seed stage with no product? They're not asking everybody that. She constantly found herself trying to prove that we knew what we were doing, even if we weren't quite there yet at the pre-seed level. But she stayed vigilant. We obviously talked to each other every day. So we were both just encouraging each other and venting to each other and like really had each other's backs throughout that entire fundraising cycle. But I think making sure that you're constantly staying on top of the feedback, but also like kind of staying vigilant and having that grit and keeping your vision at the top of your mind. Those are the things that lead to your ultimate success. I think what people's ultimate demise ends up being is letting that stuff get them down. And it's okay. You, If you have a day and you're like, look, I'm not with it. I'm sad. I don't want to do this. Fine, but just try to get back up because if this is something you truly believe in, and the vision is there and the passion is there, you will land on something or someone that will push you to the next level.
2: By the way, I'm so glad you actually went that in depth because I I think the audience really benefits from understanding the story and the journey. Too many times we're sold that finished product. We've talked about it uh, already today, but the concept of seeing how an idea can evolve and how pivots happen along the way, and then with the pivot you then it's about finding the right environment and then finding the right environment can, can lead to the, you know, to something even more magical or something as devastating as COVID can cause a radical shift and cause you to go back. Wow. Okay. Are you still in the beta stage? We are in the open beta launch right now with lunch. We
1: are in the process of bringing it externally. That's on the roadmap, but there's nothing official there yet. But we do have open mail going on. You can go to our website
2: and apply to become a client and/or a creator right now. And yeah, look to work. With you. That's what I was asking because I imagine at this point the audience is wondering how can we get involved. But okay, so they can. There's a place on the website. Okay, that they can they can log in and sign. Okay, good. This is good. I'm excited. I you know I I am involved in creating mostly on TikTok and LinkedIn these days. But I always observe creators. I was observed creators and you see how access of opportunities is either discussed or the disparity that exists, right? And disparity usually affects people that look like you me black men and women, black, you know, indigenous people of color as well, or even people that end up talking about, you know, racial disparities or the insecurities, right? You, you get this interest in censorship sometimes when you might be calling out something it's not necessarily counting other people's coins but it is in the effort of transparency that you see some of these lists come out where they'll show you huge you know huge spread. I'm I'm glad that Kabi Lame is, is now the highest paid but before Kabi was the highest paid it was you know usually people would say people are getting the most money are people profiting off of black culture and not getting compensated. I'm curious to hear your thought on that cuz now you're going to be heavily involved in the creative economy. You're going to be heavily involved in providing opportunities for people. Is there a way to make it more equitable and to provide more recognition?
1: Yeah, I actually think that, you know, I have to start this answer off with the fact that we there's two different types of, I think, creators that people think of. There's the influencers, and then there's like the marketers or the digital marketers, which we call creators. This realm of influencing is kind of like, I don't want to call it like a black hole, but it is very like, there's not a lot of information, education or structure around it because I think the marketing world is trying to catch up to digital marketing in general. We don't necessarily focus on working with influencers who have a large following who might charge $1,000 a post. And it's them that's like on their own personal page, selling you on something, whether it's Amazon, I think is the first thing that comes to mind, all these Amazon influencers. (laughs) actually shout out, I do love them because I do find a lot of things from that. But the point is, is that's one part of the creator economy in terms of who's marketing. We work with creators who create content on behalf of the brands that come on to work with us. So, The first company that comes to mind is Haywell. Like I was talking about earlier, they're a sparkling beverage company. And our creator essentially would be in the shot sometimes, but the content was being posted on Haywell's page. So they create the content for those brands. And I think the reason that that's a more or can be a more equitable and inclusive space is because we work with the creator to set their pricing and we work with the client to make sure that the creator is going to be getting paid fairly. We don't take any money from the creator and we also make sure that like it's equitable based on skill, not on the way you look. And I think that like the fact that the creator is not really using themselves as much to sell the product, but more so doing it on behalf of the product does kind of take a little bit of that bias out of the equation, which I think a lot of what you're talking about, influencers experience, because... Naturally, you know, I was watching a TikTok the other day, a beautiful, blonde, skinny, white woman is going to attract a lot of more people just based off of her Eurocentric standard of beauty. And so that means that she might get a lot more brand opportunity. Whereas with us, that's not necessarily the person isn't selling themselves. The person is creating content on behalf of the
2: product. I love that. Now, that's beautiful. It's like you it's like you Madison, your co-founder said, the next generation is One that creates flexible, empowering, and meaningful work that supports their balanced lifestyle. You're essentially being a force in that landscape that you believe is changing. And I think COVID did several things, but one of the things that it it did was really, ironically, give people power to own their own stories and to do stuff from wherever they are, as opposed to maybe the narrative that we had before. And now what we're trying to figure out is how to democratize that landscape where it's well, everybody can do this now. So who who, who should get that? And so I, I think it's an interesting problem to solve. Well, that's clutch.com, right? Yeah, that's clutch.com. That's where we're at. If you follow us on social media,
1: it's that's clutch underscore com. And we also have a clutch creator page now where our creator community lives. I think that's clutch.creator, but I'll follow up with you.
2: Ah, no, no problem. Yeah, I'll make sure I put all those links in the show notes. Uh, the last question I have for you is my mission statement. My statement is, is, I usually reframe it as a question. So my misstatement is use your difference to make a difference. So, Simone, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Mm. <laughs> I always
1: love these like punchy questions at the end. How, do I...
2: <laughs> how does one use your difference to make a difference? What is it about you that you you embrace fully? It impacts the world.
1: I have this weird inability to not be genuine and authentic. And it sometimes embarrasses people. Like I say what's on my mind. I don't hold back. I'm pretty transparent if it's necessary. And I think that in any other environment, whether it's like a more stuffy corporate environment or mingling or whatever, I really do bring myself to the table. And I think that's how I've been able to achieve building this company with Madison because the main thing we care about is being our authentic selves and allowing everyone at our company, our creators to also be able to bring their authentic voice and themselves to the table because for a long time, I feel like that has been stifled in society. Sometimes I find myself saying things I shouldn't, thinking things I shouldn't, you know, making an ass of myself. But then other times I find that me being myself makes other people feel comfortable to be themselves too. That's what I think brings it home. And I think that's honestly like what I respect the most about this next generation. They're like, screw you. I'm going to be who I am, you know, because I'm an individual.
2: There you have it yet. You, you had a brilliant answer. You, you are incapable of being anything other than yourself. And I think in a world that's constantly trying to change people, being yourself is that's the most courageous thing you can do. I think that's E Cummins, but a paraphrase with <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but
2: that's awesome. Yeah. The fact that you had that on dome is dope. I <laughs> uh, no, I you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm full on nerd, you know. I like to read. But <laughs> I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much for for educating us. Uh it's it's a real pleasure. I've been doing a series on creative economy. So I know the audience is gonna be fascinated by where it's going. And I think you or Madison are well poised to lead in that that change. So thank you for gracing us with your time. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. Anytime. Thank you, thank you. My pleasure. Kings, queens, and royalty. Till next time. Use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.